Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hahn. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be talking about truths and rumors in health IT. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 15 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. So, you ready to gossip, Colin? Exactly. That is exactly what we're doing today. Gossiping. <laughs> it's the Gossip Guys podcast that's right that's right well we got to do one of these ones at least it's you know we can't get super serious on every episode so this one's going to be a little bit of fun i think yeah i think it's pretty serious too but you know the gossip and health it ends up becoming reality (laughs) (laughs) oh man so let's start right away and jump into a big one um jonathan bush let's talk about our favorite uh ceo jonathan is jonathan bush creating another EHR company? Well, let's talk about what you just said. Is Jonathan Bush your favorite CEO? I mean, <laughs> he's my favorite interview, so I'll agree with you there. I'm not sure he's my favorite CEO. He, he's interesting from a media perspective, so I'll give him that. <laughs> yeah, no, I guess that's what I meant to say. He's the most, you know, uh, in terms of CEOs of healthcare organizations, <laughs> he's certainly the most colorful. And, yeah, the, you know, sure. <laughs> the, you know, you're guaranteed to get some sort of news story from him, either if you're doing a one-on-one interview or if you're just watching what he's doing, so... He is the bravest. I'll give you that. Or stupidest or naive. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of ways to look at it. Is it genius or is it insanity? That's, that's the beauty of Jonathan Bush, but I just have respect for anyone who, who, you know, will let someone pie him in the face, right? Like that's, (laughs) that's respect. (laughs) Yeah. When Judy did that to him, that was awesome. But you know, I mean, what's, what's interesting. I actually think he's a genius. He, he really understands it. And, and certainly he has his ADD moments, but it's fascinating to see the announcement of Zeus Healthcare, which you know, I have to point out Zeus, the father of Athena, and he's the former founder of Athena Health, or who was the founder of Athena Health. So anyway, I love uh, the marketing side of that as well. But I mean, when I first saw Zeus Health, I was like, what are they doing? And I didn't realize it was Jonathan Bush's company either. And they ended up recruiting some really good people. One of my favorite people from Redox went over there. I mean, so some real people understand the churnings and insides of an EHR. Plus, you know, I, I think I read something, uh, this might be not the exact number, but I thought it was like three quarters of the leadership team was past Athena health people. So, or, you know, some big number was all these Athena health people that he's brought in. So it's like, they've executed before in the EHR space. And when I first saw it, I was like, this is an EHR, this is some sort of interoperability platform company. But when you saw the latest funding announcement, and if you check it out, we'll link to it in the notes in the show notes, but like, this looks like, EHR 3.0 or whatever number we're on 20.0 that he's really going after it. Now he's going to go in a really smart way, but this seems, Zeus seems like an EHR killer to me. Yeah. I'd read the, I read the stories and, and, you know, all the power to Jonathan Bush for putting in, putting in a crack team together and getting a lot of folks from the former Athena health um, together. I gotta be honest. I'm not sure 
that he's going to create or that this e, an EHR 20.0 is going to fly. Um, but I mean, I think they've got some pretty good products. I think they'll come to market with, I'm just not sure it's going to morph into a full blown EHR. Um, well, that or is if you, or I, I'm not sure if they're going to come out of the gate saying that that's what they are. So, well, for sure. They're not coming out of the gate. That should be dumb, right? Hey, Epic, yeah. I'm coming after you. Right. Although interestingly, he said that when he was at Athena Health, <laughs> I had literally heard those words out of his mouth. We want to go after those monolithic built in the seventies EHRs. Right. You know, so, you know, that's been his intent for a long time. But he's smart enough to know, I got to chop at the edges. I, I think, was it, I don't know if I remember if it was in a story or in the release, he called it the sidecar of the EHR, <laughs> which I think that's how they have to start the approach, right? Because you don't just go in and disrupt an EHR that was a billion dollar implementation, right? I mean, that's, you have to get in department at a time, solution at a time. He's doing a telehealth first approach, which is interesting and could be a little bit of a differentiator as far as how do you navigate the patient through it. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I think trying to abstract the data so that it's not a monolith EHR, but that any sort of applications could be added on side on the side of it. It's pretty interesting and, you know, credit Jonathan Bush for having the chutzpah to actually do it. <laughs> yeah, it is an interesting thought exercise, right? Like what would you, if you were wiping the slate clean and building an EHR from scratch, what would, do, what would it do today? You know, obviously security and interoperability would be probably two things higher on the list than they were when they originally were conceptualized or built, uh, you know, less clicking voice, all, all these things would be things that you would think about, you know, today and, and certainly without any legacy, those are more possible to do, right? Uh, if yeah. you had to retrofit voice to a lot of things, I'm not sure how, you know, I don't know how long that would take or building in cybersecurity now into a legacy program is a lot harder than building one from scratch with all of those uh, protections in there. Uh, well, yeah, it's, if he starts from the patient perspective and builds all of those things first, and then does the clinical as voice matures and ambient clinical voice matures, and then does those later, that, that could be really interesting. Yeah. I think the one thing I will look for is more of an acquisition strategy. Like, is mm. it more of, you know, we'll start here, do these kinds of things, that sidecar approach, as you, as you talked about, and then all of a sudden, will he start on, will they start on an M&A spree, right? And, and buy companies. Um, I don't want to start any rumors, but, you know, I'm thinking like a company like does intake, like a Freesia or some other companies like that and kind of add on that piece. And then, all of a sudden you look and you go, well, you've got all the components like, and they're all established, right? Which I think is yeah. the key. I think creating an EHR company and expecting people to switch to it without any existing footprint is a, I think that's just not a smart business move. That will take years and years and years of funding and sloughing in order to make happen. But if someone already has various components, they've already got component A, component B, component C, and then you come along and you have all three under one umbrella all of a sudden, now you're like, oh, okay, well, cool. Like I've, I've already got this deployed in my organization. Yeah, I'll add on another piece and then I add on another piece. And sooner or later, now it just doesn't become as daunting to flip you know, over from an existing EHR over to this other platform because you've already got all these other components running. Right. Well, if you solve the interoperability up front, then switching becomes easier as well. So I think that's smart. And you said something though, I, I think we need to correct. I thought the whole 
purpose of this episode was to start rumors. <laughs> well, <laughs> if we're starting rumors, you know, like if you look at it, he was working at Firefly Health with his partner, maybe it's wife now. I'm not sure exactly where it's at. Anyways, uh, and, and Firefly Health is integrated with this new company. So, you know, it is interesting, the combination of those two companies, you could definitely see those two merging down the road. That's, that's not a far-fetched idea to imagine that, you know, or maybe they keep them separate and that's just their training ground to be able to build the product. But uh, there's definitely that connection that could be interesting. Yeah. Well, and I like your comment and thanks. Thanks for covering me about starting a whole rumor. And by the way, Frisia's listening. I don't know anything about any acquisitions. <laughs> I just brought that name out because they're top of mind. But, you know, of course, you know, when we talk about EHRs, John, you know, EHRs really came into their own when there was a lot of funding from the government available. And uh, you were talking earlier that there's some rumors going around that maybe there's some more government money on the way for health IT. Well, and just starts with the idea of, okay, they're doing a, is it $3 trillion, $5 trillion, I forget it, they'll lose track, you know, a trillion here or there, who <laughs> needs that? But, you know, infrastructure package, right, that they're calling that. And so what could be infrastructure in healthcare? I mean, you could imagine the exchange of information, that feels like infrastructure. Uh, public health stuff definitely feels like infrastructure, especially in the broad usage that many in Washington are doing. So there's a lot of questions and rumors, like is there more money coming? Uh, we saw Cures 2.0 was just uh, trending uh, you know, a, a few days ago talking about a draft of Cures 2.0. Interestingly enough, they looked through it and seems like not much money for health IT, at least right now. It's in fact, it doesn't look anything like Cures 1.0. So, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. But uh, yeah, I mean, how could you spend $3 trillion and not spend a bit more money on health IT? That seems like that's it. Yeah, like I said, I haven't seen any specific details, and maybe there's no package sitting there waiting them because that's what happened with Aura and Meaningful Use was the High Tech Act was sitting there and had been proposed previously, and so they could just slap in that you know thirty six billion dollars to the Aura stimulus package, and is so my question is what are the packages kind of waiting there for health IT? It feels like there should be some sort of interoperability package. Like let's reward people for actually exchanging data and, and pay them for that. Could we have a package like that? Um, you know, there's the rumor I'm starting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a welcome rumor if it does come true, right? I'm, I'm sure people would love another um, stimulus in terms that was similar to what we had when, you know, we had the original you know, meaningful use programs and the funding for health IT. I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a huge boon for the industry and created the giants that we have today. I don't know if we'll see the same level that we did way back then, but, but we could given the stimulus packages that are being talked about. Um, I like, you know, what I found interesting about what you said, John, though, is just how healthcare has now moved to being part of infrastructure, right? I think a lot of people, I myself included, would have, you know, not that long ago thought of healthcare as separate. Like it's not thought of as electricity and water and, you know, that kind of stuff and roads, transportation, which is what we think of when we think about infrastructure, right? Yeah. Um, but as we've shown during the pandemic, how fundamental health is to all of this, right? The economy and everything. We have to shut down parts of the economy just to deal with this, um, this virus. So it's interesting that, you know, we're talking about infrastructure stimulus, 
And we're lumping healthcare in there now too. Yeah, it definitely feels like a stretch. I'm not sure I agree with the inclusion, but it won't surprise me if the government disagrees with me, which is is fine. I mean, and actually that is the way. I mean, if you look at the most interoperable part of healthcare outside of faxes, <laughs> sorry, I had to poke the bear a little. Uh, <laughs> the most interoperable part is e-prescription. And why has it been so successful? Well, SureScripts basically owns that network and made it possible, you know, so it's like a monopoly essentially made interoperability more successful than any other interoperability initiative in healthcare. Now, do we want a monopoly to provide interoperability? No, right? I mean, I think we all kind of like, no, we don't like monopolies too much, but public utility, maybe, right? Like, is there some things we could apply there that would make sense? I think the challenge is you look at it and say, well, is money the problem? And can government money solve the problems that we're looking at? And did it solve the problems in meaningful use? And my answer is it, it incentivized action, but maybe not the right actions because it was too prescriptive. Like I wish they would incentivize the results, i.e. the exchange of data, rather than you need to adopt access to an HIE, right? So instead of saying that, say, you know, you need to have this many records exchanged or this type of record exchange, I don't know, and reward them for the action rather than the implementation of a system. Well, that's a very good point. That's probably one of the, the big 2020 hindsight looking at what they did with meaningful use and where they fell down was too much focus on the mechanics and not, not enough focus on the results. Yeah, and watch Which, telehealth. There's probably some telehealth money sitting out there coming somewhere too. Watch for that. Now you're just now you're just layering on the rumors there, John. I love it. <laughs> hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lynn and Colin Hung. Today we're talking about truth and rumors in health IT. Yeah, and be sure to rock out with Ed Marks and his weekly podcast, Digital Voices with Ed Marks. Featuring a few, uh, a new industry leader in the health and life sciences spaces every week, a topic-centered approach rich with expert knowledge, guaranteed to keep you informed on industry trends, challenges, and opportunities, a perfect podcast for your ride to work. Ed delivers insightful content through casual conversations. Digital Voices with Ed Marks is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search digital, spelled D-G-T-L, voices, and you're good to go. So, John, here's another rumor. Um, maybe not so much a rumor, but definitely something happening. And that is, is private equity gobbling up all of healthcare? Yes. <laughs> that, was, that was quick. You didn't have to think about that one. <laughs> No, it's just shocking, right? Like how much of healthcare they're gobbling up, whether it's health IT companies that they're putting into kind of these, these big mergers. We've seen it in the HIM space. We've seen it in the EHR space. We've seen it like in a lot of places in health IT where they're using all the private equity money to bring together and create some sort of center of, of gravity around a specific area. Uh, it's been fascinating. And then on the provider organization side, they're just buying up all these hospitals and health systems. And you look at that and you're like, how far can they go? Like, where, where, can, where does that stop? <laughs> yeah, I think as we've learned in other industries, probably there is no, there is no stop when it comes to private equity. They'll go as far and as, uh, as long as they feel that they can make a dollar. Yeah, someone um, on Twitter said, as, long, as far as they're legally allowed. I was like, <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, I think I think the real question is whether or not this is good for healthcare. I mean, that that's a big question. But I mean, I don't, can't blame them for coming into healthcare because there is so much money right being poured into this, and it's only going to get well more lucrative in the sense of there's going to be even more money spent as the years continue to go through, right? Mostly to deal with the aging population but also some of the lessons that we've learned now from COVID, right? You know, more public health money, more, uh, more uh, research dollars into uh, therapeutics and things like that. Like there's just, there's a lot of focus and attention on healthcare. And, uh, you know, in some ways, private equity can be pretty good when it, you're talking about maybe bringing a new device to market or a new drug to market that's very expensive. So maybe getting some private equity there and more funding there is a good thing. But it can also have negative impacts when you're talking about just simply consolidating or doing a roll-up strategy to squeeze out the efficiencies and then just sell it off at the end and leaving a bloated company which with the parts not really working together. Um, that can only hurt healthcare. So, Yeah, I guess I look at it in a little different direction. And it's really around kind of a core idea that I've been thinking a lot about, which is the cost of healthcare everyone rails against the cost of healthcare and we pay way too much in the U S and we're not getting nearly as good of a thing. And, you know, like, you know, you've heard all, all, all the talk, right. And comparing to other countries and we pay too much for this. And you look at that and you say, well, anything that private equity is doing help to solve that problem. And the answer is no, you know, like they actually benefit most similar to the big tech you know, where we have the same conversation, everything that they do is about making money. And the best way for them to make money as private equity is to profit off the dysfunctional healthcare system. So that's the fundamental challenge I have with much of what private equity is doing. And, and I'm a, yeah, I like profit too, right? Don't get me wrong. We're, we, we, we operate as for profit as well, but you just look at it and you're like, this could go even worse than we are today, which is sad to say, because I think that they see that opportunity. They see the dysfunction in healthcare and they see it as an opportunity to really profit off that dysfunction rather than coming in and disrupting it and lowering the costs and, you know, putting 12 other businesses out of business. I don't think that's the plays I've seen from these people. Instead, it's like, let's maximize the profits that we get off this dysfunction. And so that's what really stresses me out and like kind of annoys me <laughs> about this kind of shift. And it's true for private equity. It's true for big tech as well. Yeah, I think, I think that's where I agree 100% with you, John, is, you know, we know what this is happening. What's worrying is what's the incentive for these people to get in? The incentive at least on the, from what we know and from what we read and from what we hear, it's all about profit, right? Uh, it's all about returning, returning <laughs> an investment, you know, return on investment for their shareholders. Again, not a bad motivation on, in and of itself, but when you apply it to healthcare, it's completely at odds with what we are all trying to do in healthcare, which is deliver high quality care to more people at a cheaper price, right? And in an affordable way. And to me, the two don't jive quite right. You exactly. can get some efficiencies. Sure, that can happen. And that does help, you know, in terms of maybe lowering costs. But that is, to me, not the goal of private equity entering into these markets right? and buying up these companies and these organizations. That's not what that's not what they're going in to do. <laughs> and that's the problem. Like in every other industry, 
if I create something more efficiently at a lower cost, then more people are going to buy it. And so it, you know, private equity in other industries is really valuable and can work very efficiently because it's going to lower the cost and it's going to make it more efficient. And, and obviously their sales will expand if they are able to do that at scale. But in healthcare, we don't make decisions based on the quality of care because we can't measure that. And so it's not like they're making a decision based on, you know, these factors that let them somehow lower the cost and provide it in a more efficient and effective way that's lower cost. So, yeah, it just doesn't, yeah, uh, kind of feels, you know, icky just talking about it, honestly. <laughs> well, needless to say, John, we're not winning any fans over the private equity firms. But <laughs> oh, they're not going to buy out healthcare IT today? I can't believe it. <laughs> All right, let's end up with talking about a, um, a rumor, maybe not a rumor, but maybe a truth. Um, but something certainly I've been hearing, and that is uh, a lot more people that I've been speaking to recently are talking about going to hymns. Yeah. I've seen a kind of a trend. Uh, I think, I, you know, I mean, I, I think there's some people that were hurt by last year. That's fair, right? I mean, uh, I think Hims was hurt by last year. Everyone I know at Hims uh, has their own traumatic experience, right? I mean, they went through a lot and uh, it was a hard situation for them, for everyone involved. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. Uh, the more people I talk to, they're like, yeah, I'm going to be there. See you there. And, and there's some excitement and energy around it too, which, uh, you know, I give it credit to all the vaccinations and kind of the opening up of the world. Uh, you know, I think we're eating out, we're doing meetups, we're doing business meetings, we're actually going back to the office and different things. So I think all of those have, you know, Oh, I mean, how about the Golden Knights, since I know you love uh, hockey so much? You know, we had 60,000 people in the arena, biggest hockey game of the year, right? So it's like all of those things are encouraging signs that I think have made a lot of people say, hey, I wasn't sure I was going to go, but now I am because I'm feeling safer. The vaccination's high. Hims is requiring vaccinations, et cetera. I know that upset some people and that makes sense. Yeah, no, I th and I, th I think you're right. I think when we did our survey, of course, looking at, you know, conferences for the fall, you know, the number one concern was safety, right, that, of what would deter people from going. And I think as, you know, the economy and as, um, you know, public spaces uh, have opened up and the comfort with being in an indoor space with multiple people has started to come back again. Uh, I think that's kind of working in him's favor in the sense that people are feeling more comfortable to say, you know what, if, if 10,000 people show up, uh, 30,000 people show up, I'm okay with that. Yes. Because I've seen 60,000 in, you know, right. in, in an arena and a, an outbreak didn't happen, right. <laughs> or at least not a huge one. Right. So, so I think there's some comfort there and I think Hims is benefiting. I also think that uh, people are, are kind of looking at their business and seeing some positive signs and there's, it's yeah, giving them true. optimism, right? So I think some people who are holding back budget or who maybe didn't have budget to go to a hymns this year um, are now thinking, oh, are now saying, you know what? Let's spend the $2,000, $3,000, spend a couple people there as attendees uh, and let's just make sure we know what's going on, right? Make sure we stay in touch with the industry and can make those connections. So I'm definitely hearing a lot more people going to hymns as attendees, still not seeing a huge movement on the exhibitor side, but it's definitely encouraging to hear people say, yeah, you know what? We just made a decision. We're going to send two people and, and who knows in the next few months that may jump from two to four people. Right. 
Well, and I think on the exhibitor side, most people made that decision six months ago, right? right. To, to a large extent. So that was, those kind of decisions were already made. Uh, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to do, I mean, you know this better than I do. <laughs> it's hard to turn a booth in a few weeks, right? So what's interesting, it will be interesting to see what it's like when we're there. But I think people are, you know, just from this small meetups that I've just done over the past few weeks uh, with 10 to 15 people, there's been like an exciting energy around those that that was, has me so excited for hymns because at hymns, people are going to be, you know, many of them, you're going to hear them say, this is my first time going out. This is my first conference. And there will be a cool energy. In fact, in many ways, we probably have to almost hijack the conversation and not talk about you know, how you survived COVID and hey, we're glad to be back so that we can have the meaningful health IT conversations, right? Uh, but yeah, there was just, I mean, even just in the small meetups I had, it gave me that like excitement that, hey, yeah, I mean, I don't know how many people are going to be there, you know, compared to the usual, but it's going to be a large number of people across a large category. And that's going to be valuable for us to really connect with those people from both a recovery from COVID perspective and from a business of health IT perspective where we can, I think, you know, in many ways, could we create deeper connections at this hymns with, you know, certainly fewer people than normal, I would imagine, uh, you know, you know, and that fewer people means that we can create deeper connections rather than kind of the rat race of trying to run everywhere and not getting as much accomplished. Yeah, I hope, I hope that's the case. Um, you know, fingers crossed that the border opens up and that I can come down, but, but certainly looking more promising, right. Every day that comes, goes by. Uh, but yeah, I, I believe that will happen. I think that there's going to be, it's going to be a bit smaller than what we have seen in the past, but I think because of that, we're going to have deeper conversations. I think partly because of what you just said, where we're just going to be like, Hey, you know, it's been amazing. I haven't seen you for 18 months. It's just so yeah, nice to see your friendly right? face and to reacquaint with each other and, I think that'll happen. So I think naturally it'll have that camaraderie that maybe in the past hymns hasn't, you know, that's not been a hallmark of hymns, right? Is that camaraderie aspect of it? I think this year it's definitely gonna be something that people talk about. It's like, it felt like just seeing old friends, you know, cause it's true. Uh, and I think it'll be more intimate because yes, I think people will be more in the mood to connect, right? Yeah, I think that's true. I think there's that as well. So I agree with you. I think that will be something that we will be talking about hymns 21 afterwards and say, wow, it was a really great conference to connect. Well, and there's something interesting about, I know, I don't know how your experience has been, you know, we attend a lot of conferences and all that. And when you do, you see them every three months or every six months, you end up kind of, it kind of blurs the progress that those companies are actually accomplishing because you see them so much that, you know, you hear little bits here and there. Now we're going to go and we're like, we haven't seen you for 18 months. You know, maybe we saw some online and whatnot, but when you haven't seen them for 18 months, there's a lot more to catch up on and you can get a better picture. And I think COVID forced many of us to kind of focus in on what are we special at and what are we great at and what do we want to accomplish that I think everyone's going to have a better story around here's what we can do and here's what we accomplished. And it'll be really exciting. Things that we didn't think were possible from companies will probably be exposed there. Sounds awesome. Can't wait for it, John. Hey, listen, thanks to all of you who tuned in to this episode of Healthcare IT Today. You can find out more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com 
and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung, along with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lane. Thanks for listening and have a great week.